Hi, and welcome back to AlderPod, the Aldersgate Cycle podcast. Today's episode is number 29, chapter 26 of the Aldersgate, Preparation. Brick heard the shots, but as no more followed, he decided it wasn't worth the trouble going to investigate. He was tired, and his shoulder ached to say nothing of his hand. At first, he had thought to find Cora, but he stopped, halfway to the garden where he'd seen her earlier. He just couldn't. Looking at her was like looking all of Vel in the face, and it hurt too much. He'd had enough of hurting, by gods. He didn't want any more. And if it meant cutting Cora Gray out of his life, then so be it. He found Lark propped up on one of Lady Vizina's couches. Her lame leg was up, but the other was down, and she was working out a knotted string of yarn with a determined expression on her face, those scarce brows down over her eyes. "'You're a right cat,' he said, coming up beside her. Her eyes softened when she saw him, and that was a start, at least. Most times— She'd been so confrontational that he couldn't get a word in edgewise. But it appeared that her brush with death had changed that, at least for the moment. Brick, she said, moving slightly to make room for him on the couch. Hunker down. I heard gunshots. Everything okay out there? Good as it can be for now. The white wave has landed, he replied, grimly, sitting down, but stopping to remove some of the yarn before he did so. Well... So it's ending, I guess. But thanks for the flowers, at any rate. Better go out with a good view than nothing, she said, gesturing to the bouquet by her sofa. He had found some flowers still worthy of picking and brought them to her this morning, but she had been sleeping. They'd spoken briefly the day before, after she'd finally woken. Enough, at least, for him to explain what had happened with Cora and her new abilities. Brick indicated the yarn. Didn't know you knitted. I don't. I just like knots, she said, with a shy smile, something he'd never seen her do before. Lark Starling, shy. You're a puzzle, Miss Starling, said Brick. Why'd you come here, she asked, putting down the yarn and looking up at him. I had thought you had friends to attend to. Ah, said Brick, and shook his head. I just can't, not now. I can't find the sense in it. So you're here, with me, she said intriguing. I like you, Lark, he said, even if you do insist you're not my friend. Did I say that? She laughed. At Salvi as you did. What a terrible thing to say, she reflected with a sigh. Well, I take it back. If we're gonna die tomorrow, it's better to die with friends than without, ain't it? I suppose. She tilted her head at him, then punched him in the shoulder. You can't shake what happened back there. In Vel, I mean. The stuff, she paused and whispered, with her sister. A flash of heat assaulted his cheeks and he turned away. Please, he said, not not so loud. Brick, you're an asp. We made the same oaths. You'd think I'd ever betray that. I don't know. I just... I'll never say a thing, she said, leveling him with as sober a glance as she ever gave. Especially now that I'm indebted in my laugh to her, I'd never cause her pain like that. 
She may find out someday, but it won't be from me. She smiled and Brick relaxed, exhaling a breath he had been holding too long. She's one hells of a shot, too, Brick. You should have seen her that night. Brick had to admit it. Yeah, she's a good shot. And a good person, too. It ain't that. I just feel so different now, so changed. And it ain't the hand, or losing my dad, or anything like that. It's having seen different things. No one knew people. People like you. People like me? No. Just knowing you. You're not saying this because you think we're going to die tomorrow, are you? She asked. Because if you make it through, I'm going to hold you to this conversation. He watched her. She was pretty. She was smart. And mostly, she was a friend. They were connected by a common experience that Cora could never understand. And whether it lasted for a few hours or a century, it didn't matter. They would share it their whole lives long. Lark laughed. At first, I had you pegged as a wide-eyed farm boy with a broken heart looking for someone to bed for the first time. But, well, you changed my mind quick. I feel like... Well, let me tell you something about me, Brick. I'll tell you my secret, and you can hold it. And I'll hold yours. Lark, you don't... I need to, she said, her hand going to her thigh. It was stiff, but she could move it. And when she did, she shuddered from the pain. I know some. About your dad, Lem, and the dispute? She nodded. My dad tried to be a good man. He tried to do right things, noble things. He thought by denying the demands of a handful of rabble-rousers and cattle thieves that he'd fight for the greater good. But they came at night, Brick. They came into my room. There were three of them, big as oxes. And me? Barely fifteen. They brought my parents in, too, and my brothers. Tied him up, made him watch. She did not cry, but Brick felt his throat closing. Lark. They each took me, she said, her voice low as a whisper. Twice. But that wasn't enough for them. They tied me down to the bed, and they put a knife to me. She lifted up her shift and pulled it aside. There was a jagged scar beneath her belly button puckered and thick. They made sure I was never going to carry on the legacy of the Starlin family. Gods, Brick said, feeling the current pains of his own life to be truly insignificant. I went away from the world for three months. The doctors didn't think I'd ever make it. I wouldn't leave the house, wouldn't talk to anyone. My one brother, he killed himself after seeing what happened, and I had a mind to do the same. That's when Sally Din and Rufus Gresham showed up at our door. They made me believe that people in this world could be good and just, but showed me that we could carry our own guns, too. Somehow, he had taken her hands, and he squeezed. She smiled a little. That's how seriously I take my oath, she said. The first time my life was saved, it was their hands. The second was because I just happened to fall next to the first woman you ever loved. I don't think we're living in a world that makes sense anymore, Brick. But we're here. Right now we're here. And I want you by me. And Lark put her hand on Brick's chest, and they sat there, in the dark of the infirmary, for quite some time, saying nothing. Nothing. <laughs>
easier if you learn to let go of your fear and your guilt, said Renman, kicking sand in Emery's face. They had been at this for the better part of the last turn, and their argument had ended in Renman shooting into the air and then knocking Emery down to the ground. The gunshot had alerted half of the camp to their presence, and a bit of a crowd had gathered. You can't do anything if you don't first believe you can. I'm telling you, said Emery, slowly getting to his knees and wiping blood from the corner of his mouth. I can't do it without the shut your mouth, said Renman, spitting on Emery. Don't you care that you've garnered the attention of everyone here? That their lives depend on you figuring out what it is that goes on in your blood? That airship out there is the symbol of our deaths, unless you can figure out how to do this? It wasn't for lack of trying. Emery had attempted twice to call the figment to him, so desperate he was to rid himself of the torture at Renman's hands. But there was nothing. No response. The figment had truly left him. Emery supposed that Renman was attempting to anger him to the point of action, but the man didn't know when to stop. "'You're in luck, of course,' said Renman. The little ghost of a boy that followed him around was sulking nearby, watching his own fingers move. Emery wandered dimly and squinted through swollen eyelids. Was the boy all there? We happen to have a most talented healer among us who, I'm told, can heal wounds. So we can do this all day. What are you doing? cried a voice in dismay. Was it really her? Renman froze where he was, his boots stopping near Emery's head. He had since fallen completely to the dusty earth, inhaling dirt as much as air, bleeding and bruised. "'Doing my job?' replied Renman, smoothly and innocently. "'Was the man really such a brute, or did he believe he was doing the right thing?' Emery was too tired to hate him, and too full of guilt to look at Cora, so he closed his eyes and listened. "'Stop it. He's a bard, you know. You can't go around beating him up just because it suits your fancy,' she said. "'It was definitely Cora. "'Haven't you heard?' asked Renman. "'You, of all people, should realize.' I know he's been faced with things he doesn't understand, she said sharply, and deprived of sleep and exhausted beyond belief in many ways on my account. That he made a bad decision or too long the way isn't surprising. Emery is a good man, Sir Renman. He's suffered enough without you antagonizing him. Renman fell silent, considering. He clicked his boots, heel, then toe. Surprising to me you'd stick up for the man who let a demon into you twice. We were all at the mercy of this power, she replied, sure as could be. Just because his ability manifested itself in less than favourable terms doesn't mean you ought to treat him like a dog in the street. He can be brave and true and loyal. You treat me like a queen because I can heal, but I never chose it, just as Emery never chose it. Fine, growled Renman. Take the fool for all I care. He refuses to show me his abilities, and so he's dooming us all to die. But if you want to wait out your final hours with him, so be it. She was with Ez, which was unfortunate, but Emery wouldn't argue. Anything was better than being with that madman. At first he had taken Renman for a sane, sage sort of knight. He'd said he was a priest and that he could help Emery. I'm a seer, he had said. I can tell you that you will be at the center of this battle and that you will have capabilities to bring us to victory. But when Emery failed to do anything remarkable, Renman began to become more and more furious. Eventually he resorted to violence, which Emery just could not bear. He 
He simply took the blows, trying to ignore the stares. And now, Cora. How could she even look at him? Not even look at him, but touch him. She brought him all the way to the smithy, where the weaponry was cleaned and organized for the fight. Ez kindled a lantern so they'd have more light. Oh, but she looked so beautiful. Her specks were smudged and her hair was falling out of her braid, but she was remarkable nonetheless. Just being around her relaxed Emery so much he wondered how he could ever live separated her from again. Let's see. There's some clean water over there. And Ez, would you get me those linen bandages? Cora stood back from Emery and tilted her head to examine him, a little frown between her eyebrows. She took his hand, which had been gashed across the knuckles, and shook her head. Painful, I'm sure. But I think you'll be all right, Cora said gently. You've just been through a lot. I wish I'd gotten there sooner. I didn't know what Sirenman is thinking. You, you meant what you said back there? Asked Emery, unable to hold back tears. God, he was so tired, so weary. If there was hope that Cora didn't despise him, that at least she might forgive him, then he could live a little lighter. He could breathe again. Cora's eyes were welling with tears, too, and she put a hand on his face, cupping his cheek. Oh, Emery, she said. At first, at first I was so angry I couldn't bear the thought of what happened. But then, she glanced at Ez. We all spoke, and even though it took some convincing, we came to the conclusion that, well, we don't believe you would have done anything to intentionally hurt me. You, you did? asked Emery as he blinked back his tears. He could barely speak for emotion, and Cora reached into her sleeve to give him her kerchief. Why? What did I ever do to convince you that you should grant me such kindness? Outside, knights were convening, likely to look at the airship and to plan their attack. Emery could hear the voices of an argument, quelled by a third party. He wasn't sure what to think of these asps. He wanted to trust them, and technically they had saved his life. But still... Her approach was significantly less dignified than he would have liked. Cora took a damp cloth from Ez and had Emery give her his hand. Turning it gently, she dabbed at the wound, which had plenty of sand ground into it, and then put a bit of distilled alcohol on it. It burned so much as to make it near impossible for Emery to rein in his tears. As to his question, Cora seemed to be stalling. Ez, could you give us a moment, she said, and the sib looked surprised. Kaya nodded, though, and departed. There's no need to cry. It won't hurt in a moment, she said, placing her hand over his and closing her eyes. Immediately, Emery felt warmth suffuse over the surface of his hand and knuckles, trailing down to his elbow in tendrils of heat. And then, the pain ebbed away as the heat retreated. When he looked back down at his hand as Cora let go, he saw that it had scabbed cleanly and that the redness was gone. Not perfect she said with a shrug, but at least I can help you toward healing. Sometimes I can get it close to complete, other times not. I'm still learning. Thank you, he said, rubbing his knuckles. It feels so much better. He hesitated and she pulled up a stool to sit by him, arranging her dusty skirts as she did so. He'd known her for such a short time, but he admired the way she moved, every little detail. He felt as if he could go hours just looking at her. But back to what I was talking about. I'm sorry, but I didn't want Esther over here, Cora said. She looked a little nervous and was moving her fingers about. Yes, you said you decided that I couldn't have 
meant to do you harm, which I assure you I didn't, only... He tried to articulate it right. Only I can't imagine what it is. I don't think I've given you much in the way of trust, and... She was smiling, close-lipped, her eyes crimped in pity. Oh, Emery, you're in love with me. How did you know? He stood up straight as he could, trying to look less guilty. He tried to speak, and Cora raised an eyebrow at him. Is that obvious? he asked, losing contact with her eyes. Love is beautiful, I think, and in a way it saved you, she said. She put her hand on his shoulder and squeezed. And you? he found himself asking, even though he knew he would be disappointed, knew that the answer would cut him deeper than any knife. You don't. Emery, Emery, please, Cora said. I love you as I can love you, as a friend, as a companion, and as a voice that helped me out of darkness. Demon or figment or no, it was you that got us out of the dungeons. It might have taken days and days had you not acted. I didn't know I was. His heart fluttered in his chest, and he was feeling short of breath. Of course she didn't love him, but that didn't matter. He had to find happiness in the love she did hold, even if it was far from what he hoped. Listen, Emery, Cora said, now taking both of his hands. We need to be together in this. If we're going to survive tomorrow, you've got to promise me that you'll do all you can to try. None of us understand the power we've been granted, but you, even Renman, we're experiencing things beyond our powers of comprehension. And together, we're so much stronger than apart. I know that, Emery said, hating how whiny he sounded. But Renman acts as if it's something I can just do, and I've never done it without help. I don't know if I can manage. Will you try? For me? The lantern turned her face to a delicate work of art. Her hair copper, her lips parted and lovely hinted red and gold. He would love her till his last, even if he could not have it in return. Yes, for you, I'll try. Emery closed his eyes, waiting for Cora's response, but he heard a voice at the door instead. It was Ez. Hea's voice shook. Another ash ship has landed. Sally Dinn stood in the center of Lady Vizina's courtyard, addressing the collection of Aspgard and ragtag servants, hired hands, and new acquaintances. Brick could tell by the way she was watching them, peering over her dark glasses every now and then between sentences, that she had hoped for more. It was her way of expressing disappointment without making it painfully obvious, but Brick, and likely the rest of the Order of the Asp, understood her well enough. Truth was, they were all disappointed. They all felt hopeless, in spite of Din's rallying words and the impressive weapons they'd found in Lady Vizina's collection. Brick watched the bard standing across the square from him. He looked terrible and was bruised about the eye and mouth and skinny enough to be made of sticks. Renman believed that all their hope lay in that man who, according to the priest, had some kind of latent ability. Though Brick had seen what Cora could do, 
He doubted that the pathetic excuse for a bard he saw was capable of anything save a ditty on the beat-up guitar he had strapped to his back. Although he wanted to know more about him, that would require speaking to Cora or Professor, and neither was an option at this point. Next to him, Lark shuffled a bit, taking the pressure off her leg. Cora might have been able to help her by removing the bullet and improving the general state of the wound, but she couldn't take away all ills completely. Since their last conversation, Brick was feeling more protective of Lark, and he looked at her, concern in his eyes. She grinned and mouthed, I'm fine, then pointed back up at Din. We're splitting ourselves into five groups, Din said, her voice rising above the crowd. Nearly everyone fell silent, and she kicked experimentally at the box she was about to stand on. We don't have the advantage in numbers, she said, and the rest of the voices dried up. We're outnumbered in terms of skilled shooters, and they know the area better than we do. This was not news to anyone, but yet still difficult to hear with such a cold-eyed reality. Brick could have done without that. Facing death was hard enough without someone rubbing your face in it. So you can leave now if you want, said Din, crossing her arms before her. Her hair was down today, untied, and it blew across her shoulders, the ends picking up slightly in the breeze. You can pick up and go. They've not surrounded us yet, and there's plenty of exits round across and through the woods. No one moved at the challenge, and she set her jaw, continuing. I can tell you this. As desperate as you might be feeling right now, as useless as this might seem, it ain't. Not entirely. See, the way of it is, we got two advantages they don't. One is the layout here. We're good until they come for us. We got gardens to pick fruit, cattle to slaughter for meat, beds and cots to sleep in. We got fresh water running, good supplies. Plus, we're up here. Two hills we have, and a ridge, and we can position ourselves in such a way that they won't be able to account for us all at once. At least, not without those airships taking flight over us, and they'll never do that. Why not? asked an adventurous asp. Wellerin, maybe. Helter was around somewhere, but Brick had just seen him trying to argue a farmhand out of their goat. Gods knew what he was after. Robin, come up here and explain to them a little about what we can do. Din waved her hand, and Professor presumably came over, but it was hard to see her at first. It took a few moments, but someone was sharp enough to bring a horse over, and they positioned her on top of a large mare. With a little balance, she stood, and was even taller than De Sally Din at that point. Brick noticed for the first time the remarkable similarity the two women had, how weather-hardened they both were, how powerful, too, in their own ways. He never would have guessed that the last stand of the Order of the Oak would be at the hands of two women— that was sure. Airships, started Professor, and then stopped, adjusting her hat against the wind. The dust blew up a little, kicked up and dried by hundreds of feet that had descended on the Zena Ranch. Airships fly on account of two kinds of power. The lift is from a special gas that's lighter than the air we breathe. That's what the big part is. Good thing for us, that with the right kind of artillery, we can set them ablaze. The steering, though, comes from the steam engine. Something I designed when I worked for Queen Malus that provides heat for the rest of the ship, too. If we get the boiler, the whole thing would fly away like a cloud with no direction whatsoever. How will we shoot it down? asked Sir Gresham, who seemed genuinely intrigued. We've got one of the best weapon stores I've seen in a long time, and no small thanks to Lady Vizina allowing us the use of her collection, continued Professor. They cleaned and primed, and we've got good enough store ammunition, but... You're encouraged not to waste. How are we even to last against geared bullets? Asked one of the younger pages. 
David. Professor nodded. Good question, lad. Of course, let me tell you something about geared bullets. They're right little bastards, but they're expensive as shit. Only the highest ranking knights will be carrying them, and when they do, they'll be shooting them out of specialized little guns about the size of something I might carry, and usually bronzed. So if you see one of them pulling out the gun, be aware. Do everything you can to get it out of their hands, and know that after three shots, they're out. They'll have bullets just like the rest of us. Lark was standing some feet away from Brick by Gresham now, and though she looked a little brighter about the cheeks than before, she was mostly back to her old self. She'd shown Brick the wound that morning, the one that Cora had removed the geared bullet from. It would leave one hells of a nasty scar, but all that was there was puckered, webbed. Professor's help would have been useful then, but at least now it was likely the information that would save their lives. The oak lacked to fight dirty, continued Din. They lacked the advantage, and will try to overwhelm us with numbers. But they're messenger knights, my friends. They haven't been hardened by the sand and wind, haven't slept under the starry skies. They've gone soft, traveling with airships, tinkering with technologies. If you get an oak, even two, hand to hand, you will always have the advantage. Brick thought of Ander and Jesper and the rest of their captives. No, they weren't hardened the way the Asp were, but they had some convincing technologies, if the opportunity arose. The professor was certain they were using the same versions of weaponry as she had devised, but Brick wasn't sure. They had certainly augmented the box they'd used to torture him with, and in the end it had caused him his hand. Thinking on that, he rubbed the stump at his wrist. It itched. As Sally Din read names from a sheet of paper, indicating who was to go where, Brick wandered about the crowd a bit, slowly making his way to where Gowan stood. The red-haired knight was leaning against an oak tree, some distance from the crowd, speaking to someone who was, at first, concealed by the trunk of the tree. It was a moment too late that Brick realized it was Cora Gray and her strange dark-haired friend. Gowan spotted him and called him out by name, and Brick reluctantly complied. "'So you're to stay back here,' said Gowan, frowning a little. The knight had promised Brick he would try and argue in his favor, to allow him to meet up with one of the regiments posted along the ridge or further off, but Din would have none of it. Yeah, he conceded, with the hostages. But I don't get why you're good with them, said Gowan, with a shrug. For whatever reason, they listen to you. Especially Ander. Don't, Brick warned. Cora had snapped her head so quickly toward Gowan when she said Ander's name that her hat went crooked. What did you say his name was? Ander. Properly Jeffrey Ander, said Gowan. Knew him when I was in the Rose. Good fellow then, but a little power-hungry. Not surprising that he ended up in the Oak. Why? asked Brick, curious. Cora was shaking her head, and, he realized, trembling. Cora's friend was nearby, patting her on the shoulder, and Brick saw the softness she had in her eyes for, well, whatever you'd call a sib. Lark had told him that's what to call the fellow, but she hadn't elaborated. Didn't Cora realize that those sort of people couldn't? He's the one that tried. The one that found me in Vell, in the house, she said, wiping her mouth with the back of her hand, as if she just tasted something vile. If she had a run-in with Ander, Brick could only imagine. He, he's here, asked Cora, her eyes wide. She took a step closer to Brick, pressing. Ander is here, alive. To Brickley's sincere disappointment, yes said Gowan, watching Brick out of the corner of his eye. A warning was there. I want to see him, said Cora. 
With all due respect, Lady Grey, said Gowan, all courtesy, we are at war. We may be advanced upon within the hour, and agitating our captives is not a prudent move. She was practically seething, and Brick took a tentative step back from her, not wanting to get between her and her temper. In spite of all that had happened between them, he still knew her very well. Then promise me one thing, she said, staring Brick down. She was so pale her freckles looked like spots in milk. If we're losing, if we're going to die, kill him. What? asked Brick. Cora, you don't mean that, said Ez. Brick thought that was what the sib's name was, something close to that at any rate. He's the one that did this to you, Cora said, snatching Brick's hand up. He wanted to smack her, but restrained himself. No one, not even Lark, had touched him so since the accident. Brick nodded, wordless. Then you know what filth like him deserve. She took a deep breath, her lower lip trembling as if she were about to cry, then let go. How could Brick explain it? If it hadn't been for Ander, his hand wouldn't just be gone, he'd likely be dead. It was one of the only reasons they'd not killed him yet. He presented a very unusual case, as did the rest of the oak with them. At least with captives, they had some kind of currency to bargain with the oak. Brick, it was a sib. One more thing. Yeah? Brick asked, looking after Cora. She'd walked away. I made, well, I fashioned a kind of hook for you, said Ez, a little awkwardly, as if embarrassed. You can tie it to your forearm, and with a little modification in the saddle, you can ride if you need. If it comes to that. When you come pick up your guns, you can come by the smithy and see if it's something you could use. Brick blinked. A hook? Well, it made sense from a design perspective. He'd seen cripples before with hooks, but wasn't sure he wanted to draw that kind of attention to himself. Yeah, sure, he said. And if, well, said the sib, if we make it out, there's other things I can do. Professor, you, and me together. We could construct something that could run off of steam or clockwork, and you could at least have a basic movement in your hand again, even if it isn't your own. Thanks, said Brick, but he really didn't mean it. The sib smiled and bowed to both Gowan and Brick before trotting off after Cora. Brick couldn't help but watch behind them and wonder. Don't even think about it, lad, Gowan said, clapping Brick on the shoulder. Think on the war. When it's over, then you can spend your time thinking on what you have and what you've lost. Brick sighed and readjusted his hat. Yes, sir. A few quick notes here at the end of AlderPod 29, the most important of which is the fact that the music for AlderPod 29 and will be repeated later in the course of the next few episodes as we come very close to the end of the book. Um, the music was provided by my sister, Lana Barron. Uh, Lana and I have been writing music since we were of the smallest ages as well as writing stories together, so when she expressed interest in putting together something for AlderPod, I was very excited when I heard the track. Um, I, well, let's suffice it to say I have yet to be able to listen to the whole thing without crying yet, but um, there's something super special about sharing that kind of creative energy with someone that you've grown up with and, of course, love absolutely. So I'm actually going to provide the whole track here at the end of 
AlderPod29 for you to listen to. And just leave it at that. I'll see you next time. Thanks. AlderPod is written, produced, and performed by Natanya Barron under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 United States License.